Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 11. And he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this young, when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you were always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. You realize this morning that we're back in the same passage that we ended with last week. I felt like it was important that we go back there, particularly this morning as we come to the Lord's table. One of the things that I want us to see there, I hope you saw part of it last week, is God, God's heart for lost people. His heart for lost people. And here in this story is probably as well as any story in Scripture. We see it. He's no respecter of persons. One of the interesting things about this couple of chapters here now is that Jesus is no respecter of persons. At either end of the scale. We saw last week that he dined with both the Pharisee and the tax collectors and sinners. As they drew near to him, and the Pharisees who he dined with just previous that said were amazed that he ate with them in chapter 15. He went to both. He sat at the table of both. He beckoned both to come into the kingdom. No respecter of persons. Our hearts are different than that, aren't they? I realized that this week, as I was spending a few days at a conference in Minneapolis, and the speaker 
referenced Luke chapter 18. If you've got your Bibles, just turn over to Luke chapter 18 for a minute. I realized how much different my heart is many times than his heart in this story of the Pharisee and the publican here. Let me just read it to you, make make a comment that I think has application to the fact that Jesus was no respecter of persons. It says, The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift his eyes to heaven but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And, and, and the story is fairly plain without commentary in many cases, in many ways here. But I saw something in my own heart this week from this text that isn't quite as plain. It's there, I just didn't let it affect my heart as much as it should have, probably. But it's interesting here that the speaker said this, that we readily identify with the tax collector, and should, Jesus did here. But it's interesting what the uh, Pharisee said. He said this, I thank God. He thanked God that he, he wasn't an extortioner. You shouldn't be an extortioner, by the way. He thanked God he wasn't unjust. You shouldn't be unjust. Now, he may have, have a higher evaluation of unjustness than he, than he should of his own performance in that. But I'm not an adulterer or even like a tax collector. Tax collectors were scoundrels. It was good not to be like tax collectors. But the interesting thing about what he said, um, and he going on to say he fast twice a week, give, gives, it's good to give, all those things. They're not bad things. I thank God. Gave credit to God for it. Um, but this is the point. This is what I want you to catch here and, and what goes back to the fact that Jesus is not like this. God is not like this. God is not a respecter of persons at either end of the spectrum. What he pointed out is we readily say this is, this is good teaching and we're grateful for the teaching. And then we say we thank God we're not like Pharisees. You get that? We thank God we're not like the Pharisee and we write him off. Jesus didn't write him off. Jesus didn't write the Pharisee off. He dined with the Pharisee as well as the tax collector and sinner. To both of them, he beckoned, come into the kingdom. Whether their problem was loose living or self-righteousness, he beckoned to them, come into the kingdom. Come into the kingdom. That's what we see here in this story. At the end of the story last week, as we're back now in Luke chapter 15, he leaves it open-ended. And, and Tim Keller helps us with that, I think, in his story of the prodigal God. Um, when he, and, and many of you have seen that presentation. But he just leaves it open-ended with the Pharisee because at the end of the story is not the Pharisee but the elder son who represents the Pharisees. He, he left it open. He, we don't know whether the elder son ever came in 
to the party that was being thrown for the younger son. We don't know if he ever went in. We're just left hanging. He was, he was invited to come in just as the elder son or the younger son was invited to come in and, and did come in. So, so Jesus speaking, and the Pharisees knew who, who he was identifying this elder son with. It was them. And he left them. He left it open-ended whether they would come in or not. Left it hanging. And they were not going to come in unless they saw something. The reason that the younger son came in is he saw something. He saw something. Now, we don't know whether the elder son ever went in. We don't know whether he ever saw this. But in order to come in, he had to see it. He had to see exactly what the younger son saw. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. What did the younger son have his eyes open to see? What caused him to come in to the feast and to the banquet? Really what I saw in in general terms, if we were going to put a banner over the top of it, what he saw was the generosity of the father. If you look at verse 17, it says, When he came to himself... He said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? More than enough bread. The generosity of the father, the extravagance of the father is what he saw. And it's described here as more than enough bread. He he knew as he came to himself of another who would be generous. He, He decided to go back because he was beginning to see the generosity of the Father. Now, I think he experienced more of it when he got there than he even imagined it was. And that's what it is, I think, with the Gospel. We, we, we can only come to God through Christ as we see the generosity of our God. We, we begin to see it. God opens our eyes to see it. And we never fully see it all. That's part of why we need to continue to feast on the gospel. Continue to feast on what it says to us and of the generosity. It speaks of the generosity of the Father. That's what the death, burial, and resurrection and ascension of our Lord is about. The generosity of God to come. But, but here he, he, he begins to see more of it. And I want to just walk you through it before we come to the table. And, and whether you're just seeing more of it as we look at Scripture or maybe for the first time. You're seeing the generosity of the Father. I pray we will see. Look at, there's five or six things here. First of all, most of them reside right in verse 20. We don't have to go much farther than that verse. Look at it there. It says, And he arose and came to his father because he he started to see that he had more than enough. And it says this, But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. He was a long way off. How did the father see him? Except the father was looking for him. The generosity of the father. He saw him when he was a long way off. And then it says in verse 20, again, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and he felt compassion. The heart of God felt compassion. The heart of this Father who represents the heart of God. Compassion 
Compassion for who? Compassion for the lost, for those that are a long way off. Whether that resides in the younger brother in licentious living, or whether it resided in the heart of the elder brother who was full of self-righteousness. He sees them a long way off and has compassion. Compassion. The, The heart of God is full of compassion for people who are lost. No matter what side of the ditch you've fallen into, the lost. And then it goes on to say, and ran and embraced him. And ran. That, that part, just there. He ran. The decorum would have said not to do that. He was a, he was a wealthy man. He had many servants. And the inference here in Scripture is he just lost all sense of decorum. All sense of what was proper for somebody in his position. He ran. It's amazing. I hope you can see this. Maybe more than anything else. You see that he ran. Doesn't that speak of the incarnation? Doesn't that speak of what God did? We just take it for granted, folks. We take it for granted when we come around Christmas time. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. God came into this world. That, that should just stop us every time we think of that. God in the, pres- in the person of His Son, comes into this broken world. It, it, it is unfathomable that He would come into this broken world. He didn't have to. There was nothing that compelled Him to come. Decorum would have said, just stay where you are. There's no need outside of the, of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the... There was no need. But the Scripture says He ran. He he ran, a, a sense of abandon to come, to come. The father ran to his son. And when he got there, it says that he embraced him and kissed him. Again, that just, you, you see the picture? And then it says in verse 22, But the father said to his servant, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. The best robe. This is my son. The robe of sonship he puts on us when we come to him. When we begin to see his graciousness, we respond to his graciousness. He puts a robe on us. And that's exactly what he did to his son. A robe. And then in verse 24... It says, and this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Not only does this table say to us that God is not angry, but he rejoices over us. He rejoices over us, over his children. Oh, those who will come to him and respond to his graciousness. And his gracious offer, he rejoices over them. You, you can't escape that. The rejoicing heart of God in this text. There is no hesitation here. There is no hitch in his step as he starts out. It is abandonment to the, to the son who is coming home. I don't think 
we live there all the time. And in fact, that's why we say again and again and again is you need the gospel every day, multiple times a day. Because you don't live there except you practice to live there. You build a discipline in your life to live there. You fight a fight of faith to rest there. We're just not wired to rest there. It, it goes against everything that we've, we, we've ever learned. We have to relearn about this God because there is no God like this God. No eye has seen, no ear perceived any God like our God who acts and works on behalf of those who wait for Him, who, who come to Him. That's the God we have. And, and I'm not, I'm not going to speak long here. I want to leave you with something here. I want to leave you with a couple of pastoral things. I don't want to speak so long that you lose it. This is what I want you to get. This is what I want you to see. Do you see your God as a God who runs to you? Do you? First and foremost, see that kind of picture of God. I think oftentimes we, we don't. I, 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 think, I think unbelievers don't see it at all. And, and part of what causes them to go from unbelief to belief is they begin to see it. But even believers, I don't think we see that. I think many times we functionally live as though God is angry at us. Particularly when we don't do it all right, when we sin. He's angry with us. And so we play games with Him. We just kind of stay away from Him for a while until He's less angry. Until He kind of forgets about it. That's not the God we have. If you are in Christ, if your full weight of your hope is in what this represents to us, God is never angry with you. Never. He poured out all of that on His Son. He is not angry in a, rich, in a, in a kind of penal way towards you. Do you see that? Do you see that God? A God who runs to you? Even, even now, if you come to this table, you come through this week, and you know that there have been things in this past week you have done wrong. You have not lived in every area of your life to the glory of God this week. That's the definite sin I have. Whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, do it all to the glory of God. You know there's things you haven't done fully for His glory. You've sinned. Do you see God as you come now and, and you feel a sorrow for that? Him running to you? Or do you think He couldn't do that? That's not the picture I have of my God. I need to do better next week and then maybe, but not this week. That's a wrong idea of the graciousness of God. This morning I say to you, as you look at this table, I pray that it says, no matter what kind of week you have come through, God is not angry with you. He feels compassion for you. He loves you. 
He wants you to see His graciousness. Now, some will say, if you say that, people will abuse it. If you say things like that, what will restrain people? What will keep them from... I'm convinced the thing that causes us to, to, to live less often for the glory of God than we should, the thing that causes us to sin is not seeing the graciousness of God fully enough. That seems counterintuitive, doesn't it? But that is the truth. When you begin to see more and more of the graciousness of God and of your God, the more you see of that, the more you see of who God is, and you see it more clearly in the face of Christ, the more you see that, the more you treasure that, the less you will not live for the glory of God. It's, it's not... It's not that we say it too often and people take it for granted. It's that they don't fully hear it. They don't fully hear it. They don't really live in it. They don't functionally live their lives out in that kind of a relationship. In a relationship where they see God coming, running to them. This morning, maybe, I don't know, even here this morning, maybe maybe there are some who've never experienced that robe being put on. They've not experienced that robe of sonship being placed on them because they think, well, someday maybe, but I need to get some things in order first. I just can't do it yet. You don't know enough about my life, my path, whatever. I say to you this morning, you'll never get there if you take that trek. What you need to do is just see the graciousness of what this table represents. That it's not a matter of of cleaning it up or doing better or trying harder. It's a matter of realizing what this table says. No matter where you've come from, no matter where your past is, there's nothing, there's nothing that, that will keep you from your God except not coming to Him. If, if you desire to come, if you desire to experience the graciousness of God, He will not give you a stone. If you are like this young young son, if you come to yourself and you know your sin and you know you've sinned against heaven and earth and God, come to Him. Come to Him. That's God stirring that in your heart. That's God showing that in your life. And the answer isn't to do better. The answer is to come. The answer is to just come. And if you're a believer today and you're not living, you're not living the kind of life for Him that lets you come, I say to you, come. Come and experience the graciousness of your God. Come to Him. He beckons you to come. Beckons you to know what Luther wanted to know and one day did. To know that God is not angry with Him. The Gospel says God is not angry with you if you were in Christ. He is not. Let's pray together. Father, I pray this morning that in just a few moments as we celebrate this table together, that even as we take of these elements, we will have a picture in our mind of our God 
coming to us, running to us as we come to ourselves, as we acknowledge that we've sinned against heaven and earth and against our God, that we would sense the compassion, the heart of our God for us, that maybe some for the first time, Father, would, would, would just sense that robe of sonship being put on them. Their eyes would be open to see you placing that upon them. The robe of sonship. Oh Lord, help us. Help us as believers to, to be strengthened today. To better a, be able to live for your glory because we've seen the graciousness of this table now. Lord, we're grateful that you're not a respecter of persons. We're grateful, Father, that all who come, you in no wise cast off. You declare to us, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. We're grateful for that kind of God this morning. Lord, it was on the night that you were betrayed. You took you took this bread and you broke it. You said, this is my body. And you took the cup and said, this is the New Testament in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. Help us, Father, to remember your graciousness now. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like for those who are going to help us this morning to distribute the elements to come. We're going to pass them among you in the pews and ask you to hold them and ask you to just wait and we'll partake together.
as you reflect now on this, I pray that you see in it God running, running to those who look to Him, who acknowledge their sin, acknowledge that they've sinned against heaven and earth, against their God. There's no hesitation. There's no hitch in his step. There's no sense that he would not receive those who come. He's not angry. Doesn't doesn't cause him to slow up. And that's not true because I say it. It's true because it's what the gospel says to us. Since the blood of our Lord taken hold, we take together. Crowns before him, 
he bore it because he experienced the righteous anger of God we won't keep contemplating that keep going back to the gospel till you functionally live out of that in your life take and drink Oh, I see. 
treasure you in ways that cause the world around us to marvel. Father, help us. Help us. As you've promised to do, in Jesus' name we pray.